Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In today's episode, you meet Shaylin Otakor, the Senior Vice President and Global Strategy Specialist in the Corporate and Institutional Business Unit at Northern Trust here in Chicago. She is responsible for leading the business unit's international workforce strategy related to diversity and inclusion, talent management, employee engagement, location strategy, and digital technology tools. Shaylin started at Northern Trust in 1996 as a high school intern. During her 22-year career, she's held 10 roles across multiple business units, including two relocation assignments to London, She holds both UK and US nationalities. Her experience includes fund administration, custody, project management, corporate social responsibility, and European financial regulation post-economic crisis. Shailen obtained her BA with a focus in international project management from DePaul University in Chicago, holds a project management professional certificate, and also has an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. I had such an amazing time talking with Shaylin. She was so open and very, very transparent about her experiences and what she's learned. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Shaylin. Shaylin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know Marcus uh, spoke very highly of you and said you were <laughs> a woman that I definitely needed to speak with. So I'm glad that you... Um, we're able to be available. Well, thank you for the invite, and thank you to Demarcus. He's one of my favorites, so I always appreciate the booth um, alumni and admissions committee keeping me involved. <laughs> um, so I know the answer to this question, but I'm fascinated because when Shailen tells you how long she's been working, you're like, first of all, you're not old enough to be working that long. Um, but your first job in corporate America is where you still currently work. Correct. How did you get into that space? Like, did you have parents who encouraged you to think mm-hmm. about corporate, pursue a corporate career? Like, how does that happen? Well, to be honest, I started, um, I like to tell people I started when I was five because I've been here <laughs> 22 years. So as everyone's calculating my age. Um, no, honestly, I started as a high school intern. I think I got into it. My mother was always um, very um, much a techie. So mm-hmm. she got the first, you know, IBM computer when it came out. She had me playing chess against the computer when I was in sixth grade. So she was always a computer geek. Um, so I learned, um, com- you know, I learned how to navigate a computer and become very technical at an early age. When I started in high school, then um, I obviously enrolled in the business classes, the computer classes. And through those courses, they have partnerships with the different companies across Chicago for work-study programs. Okay. So I was involved in a couple of... Um, work-study programs. I was part of the Chicago Summer Business Institute, which um, the mayor always runs. So I was an alum in 1995. Um, And then when Northern Trust opened up their high school internship program, Mm -hmm. I started my senior year in high school working here as an intern. And when I graduated, they just asked me to stay on while I was a college intern. And then I just continued to work my way up. And it's interesting. um, I was joke. I used to joke with people and say I have a promising career in a field I wasn't too fond of. <laughs> I had always planned to be a doctor. I don't know what happened here. What? <laughs> and twenty two years later. Twenty two years later, I'm still in finance. Um, and thinking back to then, was the was it their Northern Trust very diverse at that time? Um, no, not really. Um, so when I started um, in 1996 um, in the department I started in. Um, you know, it wasn't lacking. I would say it's interesting, too, because I, there were probably about four or five other black um, professionals in that group. To this day, we are still best of friends. Um, That's how small it was, you know, to the point where you're just not coworkers. You're like friends of the feather after work. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Um, so, no, it hasn't been that diverse um, in the past, but we are getting a lot better. We're doing better than um, most other companies, actually, in the financial services industry. Um, we're very engaged. You know, um, my role right now, actually, is leading the diversity and inclusion strategy for one of our largest business units. Mm. And so if you, you start your high school or you don't necessarily have a background in this, there aren't very many people who mm-hmm. look like you, how did you find mentors to help you figure out what in the world you were supposed to be doing? You know, um, yeah, I keep hearing, you know, and I'll be honest, the mentoring, sponsoring conversation, I hear that so much. I'm kind of bored with it after a while. I'll, you know, I'll be completely honest. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a radical here. I'm shocked they, they put me in this role because I'm <laughs> such, I'm such counteractive um, to most of the conversation that's um, been very um, standard and traditional. I'm a firm believer of um, empowering yourself mm-hmm. and managing yourself. Don't depend on anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened to me early on in my career. It, it occurred to me very quickly that I'm the only one that's gonna, going to control this. You mm-hmm. know, some people say they have your back. Some do, some don't. But at the end of the day, I said, you know, I'm just going to be responsible for all of my um, weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I'm going to own them. You know, I'm going to work on them. I'm also going to champion my accomplishments because mm-hmm. women, black women specifically, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I said, when I'm successful at something, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Mm-hmm. I did it. I'm not going to give credit to my manager, or my coworker, or my perceived mentors. And same thing, when I fail, I'm going to own it. Mm-hmm. And I changed my mentality really quickly on. And it does give you a different sense of ownership because mm-hmm. then no one can stop you. Mm-hmm. No one made me. No one can break me. Um, so in my career, what I did, um, I looked around the company and around my department, and I said, what's a niche area that I could be an expert in, mm-hmm. something that I can own? And I noticed that while I was in accounting, there was an IT group that supported us. They didn't speak business and accounting, and our accounting and business groups, they didn't speak IT. Mm-hmm. And I have a minor in comp sci, so I was able to cross over both of them. Mm-hmm. So I found my kind of path between the two groups, translating mm-hmm. you know, their own terminology, slowly moved into project management, but I've always taken the hard jobs. Mm. I've always taken the difficult ones. Um, Honestly, being a black woman, sometimes you do. You have to take the harder ones to prove yourself because, quite frankly, they're the jobs nobody else wants. Mm. So sometimes when you step in, you take them, um, you know, you exceed expectations. It gives you a chance for exposure and visibility. Mm. So making sure that you are able to spot the opportunities and not wait for them to be handed or presented to you. You can't travel down the path that everyone else has traveled. You can't wait for a mentor, a manager. You can't wait for a sponsor. You have to look around, find the opportunities. You have to attack them. You have to put in the hard work, roll up your sleeves. You know, Mm. there are certain things I do at my job that even today people are like, well, why are you... You know, why do you go into that much detail? They don't need that. And I'm like, well, why settle for mediocrity when you can have excellence? Mm. And when you deliver excellence on a regular basis, that's when you get the sponsors. Mm. That's when you get the mentors because everyone sees that and they want to be a part of your journey. Mm. So I flipped it on the head. I don't go look for them as much as I find people now are like, oh, my God, you know, I saw this and I have suggestions on how you could be better. Let mm. me help you. Because mm. they do want to help your journey. But um, I don't depend on the mentoring, sponsoring concept. I think this relevant. I do have a lot of mentors. You know, I call them my career board of directors. You know, when I have an issue, I have men, women, different races, colors, everything that I can reach out to for advice. Mm. Um, but it's not people or anyone that I depend on mm. uh, because you can't. And for you, um, thinking about when you were junior, middle level, to now being senior level, what do you think the best, outside of your education, the best investment in your professional development was that you made? 
outside of my education, I would say the best investment probably was um, probably my international assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an opportunity to go work um, overseas in London back in 2005 when we okay. were launching a new office there. Um, and a lot of people, you know, wanted to go but were scared to leave their family and friends. And there were either other black women who had the opportunity. And we spoke, and um, the words that were said to me is, oh, I don't want to leave my mom, my dad. Mm. I don't want to leave my family and friends. Didn't want to step outside their comfort zone because you are being plunked in a foreign country, first time, no support system, mm-hmm. and you just kind of figure it out. Um, but I took that leap of faith, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. And then when I finished Booth, um, I, I was just remarking on how great that experience was, and I told my company I want to go back. Mm. And they said, we're not sending anyone, Shaylin. And I said, but I want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) And they kept telling me they weren't sending anyone. And I kept telling them I was going back. And like I said, I owned it. Um, It took me nine (laughs) months of networking and politicking, but I found my way back. (laughs) So I have two international assignments working in London, Dublin, Guernsey, Luxembourg, kind of across Europe. Um, the second time was post the economic crisis, really got a chance to see the regulation being developed, you know, mm-hmm. post the crisis. But I would say working with the different cultures, seeing the work, ec- work ethic and what they deal with as far as diversity over there mm-hmm. and their concept of it, it was eye opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, culture and diversity, but something that you touched on is that you networked and you mm-hmm. made sure that like it was going yeah. to happen. Um, how have you been intentional about building a network, both internally and externally, that can help support the things that you want to do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of times I meet people who are like-minded. You know, if I'm in a meeting or if I'm in an event or a panel and I hear the way another person talks, or, you know, I was in London and one of my first meetings, it was an older um, white British male, and he was in the meeting and he was running it, and the way he thought analytically, I thought, wow. That's what I'm talking about. Mm. That's where I need to be. Mm. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, can I get time with you once a month? Just mentoring me on some business concepts. And of course, diversity isn't the same over there. So he was a bit taken back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, black American woman wants me to mentor her. I don't know how this is going to work. But it was good. So I go through, I typically find people who I just like the way they think. Mm. And I want to know, like, what made you think about that? You know, what was your experience and how did it bring you here? Um, I also think when it comes to networking, um, I consider myself more of a broker than a networker. What's the difference? So the networker is you meet, you meet, you meet just to talk, Mm -hmm. right? But you're not bringing anything to the table, Mm -hmm. right? A broker is someone who connects people. Mm -hmm. So I like to broker. I like to meet with this person over here and this person, and then I hear something, I'm like, oh, I have someone perfect for you. And then you connect your network. Mm. And that's when people find value in you. You know, that's when people come and they approach you and say, Shaylin, I have a role. Do you know someone who can handle this? Or do you know someone that can help me speak at this event? I like to broker people because then I feel like I'm more valuable to them. And then they find ways to help me with my issues and Mm. problems. And then it's just better than simply just meeting for coffee and how are you doing? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something that's beneficial to both. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you talked a little bit about like the difference in diversity overseas versus yeah. here. And um, I think a conversation in America right now is about bringing your whole authentic self to work. Mm-hmm. And I think based, depending on the corporate environment that you're in, certain authentic selves are a little bit more accepted. Yeah. Um, and so for you, one... Are you feeling like you're in a place in your career where you're bringing your whole self? And two, what would you say to the, you know, 
coordinator or manager who's like, listen, I want to wear my afro and whatever to yeah. work. Like, is that appropriate? Yeah, yeah. Whenever I hear bring your whole authentic self, I always think about that David Chappelle skip when keeping it real goes wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss Chappelle. I know. I love this. Um, and it, I always think about that because there is a fine line. Um, you know, there was a, <laughs> you know, there was a time in my career where I assimilated to what I thought the norm was, the Northern Trust standard, the blue and black suits, the gray suits. Um, the hair, the walk, the talk, the pearls, everything. Because I thought that's the what I needed. The pearls. Oh, man. Um, yes, 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 yes. When you're on the client servicing side, I'm here, or in the client servicing um, groups, they definitely want you to look at the part. You know, we mm-hmm. have a lot of wealthy clients, a lot of influential clients. Um, so you have to be careful about the look that you present because it could be misperceived as having some sort of cultural religious belief behind it, you know. Mm. Um, not to say that, you know, braids shouldn't be worn or Afro puffs or whatever. Um, you know, to a black woman, it's like, hey, this is the easiest way to do my hair today. <laughs> trying to work out. Right, right. It's hot, it's humid, it's 90 degrees, and it was raining, it went into braids, right? <laughs> but they don't see that all the time. Sometimes it's like, oh, is she, you know, what's her beliefs? What's her, you know, is she militant or rebellious? You know, so there's little concepts and perceptions that can sometimes come behind that. Um, there was a part of my uh, career where I definitely just assimilated. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought, here's here's a couple senior black women I'm just going to do exactly what they do mm-hmm. and try to be them. Um, and then after a while, I think I, I, I was miserable. I was mm-hmm. absolutely miserable because I'm not that person. <laughs> I'm not that person. Um, and then I finally broke up with her. <laughs> and I learned to be a little bit more myself. Um, you know, it was actually a white male uh, in, um, in London who kind of helped me with this. He was saying... Um, you know, Shailene, you go to the pubs, we hang out after work, you're a great person. He's like, you have a great sense of humor, you laugh, you joke, you know, kind of sarcastic way. He's like, but in the office, he's like, you're very tight. He's like, you're very, you know, bounding the table, we got to get this done. He was like, your sense of humor is gone. He's like, what happens here? And I was like, well, you know, I'm accustomed in our Chicago headquarters to function. It's inappropriate to do that in meetings. It's Mm -hmm. inappropriate to do that. And he was like, absolutely not. Mm. He was like, that is the part of your personality people like. He was like, you need to start bringing her into the meetings. Mm. He was like, start livening it up. He was like, you can be you at work. So I warned him. I said, all right. (laughs) Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. But I thought about it, and I took it to heart. And um, like I said, being over there really opened my mind to different ways. And then just being in the company so long, you see different people with different styles Mm. succeeding. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, if she could succeed, and that's her style, and he could succeed, what's really at the basis of it all? And it's really execution and performance. Mm. And when you're executing and you're performing, you got braids, you have arrows. You know, they let you get away with a lot when you're delivering. Mm. Yeah. Um, And then looking at your... So I looked at your career, you've had a long career, and you've had an opportunity to do a lot of different things within the company. Um, So twofold question. One, can you think of a time where you maybe felt stuck in a position um, and what you did to get unstuck? I think a lot of times people get miserable in corporate America because they're like, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, and there's there's nothing that they can do um, about it, which isn't always true. It's just about perspective. Um, And then two, how have you known when it was time to move on, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times we may think we're ready before we are, or other times we stay in positions so long because we're afraid to let go. So one, a time when you were stuck and how you got unstuck, and two, 
how do you know when it's ready for you, when you're ready for your next opportunity? Yeah, no, and that's a good point because, like you said, um, it's it's simply not true. I don't believe that. Um, it goes back to my earlier point where you have to own your career. You have to own your your faults, right? And that's probably when I learned when I was stuck in a position. With the same time, I learned to own my failures mm. because I realized, you know, I'm stuck because I didn't manage my network. I didn't connect people. They didn't find value in me. I wasn't delivering on the job. I wasn't owning my space. Mm. I was letting other people own it. And then it got to the point where, hey, I want to leave. I don't like my boss or my coworkers or I'm bored, but I haven't done anything to set my platform up to the next job. Um, my resume wasn't up to date. I didn't know anything about the company. You sit and you get complacent, and then one day you wake up and you say, hey, I want to move, but you didn't do anything to prepare. It's like wanting to move a house and didn't pack any of your boxes. Mm-hmm. You can't just pack up and move one Story day. Story of my life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so after that point, um, I just started owning it. Um, I got out there. You know, I focused on my education. I focused on my technical knowledge. I focused on talking to people, seeing what the opportunities were. And I did get out of that role, and I moved on to something else. Um, quietly, you know, actually, um, after I was doing that, my manager saw that, okay, she came out of her career coma, because that's what they look at. If you're comfortable and complacent, they'll let you be complacent. Why not? You know, you're a low-cost employee who knows the skill, the trade. Why move her if she's okay to sit there? Mm. Um, once they saw I was ready to move and I was going to move, that's when they stepped in and said, okay, how about a promotion? We mm. want you to stay. Mm. How about instead we promote you to this and we give you more challenges? After that, I learned, especially since I've been here in 22 years, every two years I move. I've mm. had a different role every two years. So I spend a year in a role and I decide, do I like it? What do I like about it? What mm. don't? I get to know people. I get to know the expertise. And then by the second year, I'm like, okay, what's next? Either I'm moving up in this role and I want more challenges, more responsibilities, Mm. or I'm not too fond of it and I want to move over to this group or Mm. to that group. And I usually align my movements with the company strategy. Okay. So if you're wanting to move into technology, but your company is outsourcing technology, that may not be the place to go. (laughs) Right, right. Right. So (laughs) you got to know your company strategy. So, um... I saw a business unit that was growing and the company was investing a lot of time, money, and resources. I said, I need to be in that business unit. Mm. And I found a way to move over. But I believe in keep, keep moving. You have to, don't get comfortable. Mm. Do not get comfortable at all. That's the way your salary increases, your skill set, your network, your exposure, your visibility, um, is that you have to keep moving. Mm. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk stereotypes really quickly. Um, So as you become more senior like you are communicating with higher level people, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's more and more of the responsibilities. Um, and from conversations and what I've been told, like you are a pretty direct communicator. Um, <laughs> Who so, told you that? <laughs> and so how do you, and I think there's a fine line between direct and angry black women in terms of perception. Oh, yeah. And so in your communication, mm-hmm. has it changed as you've gotten more senior in the workplace? Mm-hmm. And do you think about avoiding the stereotypes and how you communicate because you don't want to be perceived as an angry black woman? Yeah, I'm over the perception, all right? Um, I've been working with so many, um, quite frankly, white males that are aggressive and in your face. You know, I'm in asset management, stroke investment management. So the personalities in this segment of the industry, they're tough. You know, they're direct, they're in your face. Um, So after working with so many white males who had that personality, I'm like, perceive it whatever you want, you know? I'm a product of my environment, you know? Mm-hmm. You're tough, I'm tough, hey, let's joke and, you know, go have a drink afterwards, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. 
Um, so I don't let that get me down anymore. I don't let that influence my thought process. I kind of push it out. Um, they're going to think what they want to think. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a black woman I worked with before, and they told her she didn't have enough teeth. Oh. Told me I had too many, and she didn't have enough. And I was like, well, we just can't win for losing, can we? <laughs> Do, do you think the fact that you are excellent at your job gives you the freedom to communicate Absolutely. how you want? Absolutely. I, I, I will always tell black women or anybody um, of any color, race, or gender that performance matters. Once you're performing and executing, you do you get a lot more liberty. You mm-hmm. get a lot more respect. Um, I will say right now, all of the people, all the gentlemen I work with across the business, you know, men, women, whatever, they respect me because I've delivered mm. on projects. Mm. We've worked together. So they know I'm tough. They know I'm direct. But then they know most of the time she's probably right, too. Mm. And if she's getting upset, something's wrong and we need to pay attention. Mm. Um, and so they do stand up and listen. But over the years, I would say the only thing that's changed is the fact that I've learned to incorporate a sense of humor in it. Mm. <laughs> you can be direct, um, but it, it does help to smile sometimes. <laughs> Soften it with salt. You know, you know, cyanide with sugar, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when you are in your middle stages of your career, um, what are some skills that you feel like you had to develop in order to be great at the job that you are now? Um, Multitasking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say multitasking, time management. The biggest thing I would say right now in my position and when I look across the company at all the different people, senior leaders, the ones that excel are the ones that are best at time management and multitasking. Mm. They know how to prioritize. I have 50 things right now to do. I'm not going to get them all done, and Mm. I'm not working 12 hours a day. So I have to look across. Wait, you're not? No, God, no. Work-life balance. I'm all about that at this point in my career. I have to have a life because that distresses me, and then I can smile. Ladies, you don't have to. Well, no, yeah, I feel no. like you earned this right to not be working 12 hours a day. You know what? You have to earn it, but it, I wish I would have learned it early on. Mm. It took a while for me to realize that the 12-hour days don't get you anywhere. Nobody nobody says, oh, she worked 12 hours. They just said, oh, wow, we don't have to hire another person because she's doing extra work, so let's just keep giving it to her. It's not until you stop that they realize we may need another resource. Mm. She may be overworked. So now I've learned that, um, you know, and it was another woman who told me that. She said, you know, she had to look around at the guys. She's like, you think they're working 13, 14 hours a day? They know who to talk to, what to work on, and when. And that's what I'm learning. Um, I got a lot of priorities. Certain things my boss cares about and certain things she's like, eh, I'll get back to it. Mm. Those are at the bottom of the list. I don't have to do everything. I focus on the most impactful, the top priorities. I try to pack in as much as I can. But then that's that. And then if I need more resources, we got to have a conversation. And that's something I think a lot of women struggle to talk to their managers about because you have this perception that you're dropping the ball. Mm. They're going to think I'm dropping the ball. I'm not performing. And I'm like, no, if you're really performing and executing and you know where you stand against your peers, you should be able to have that conversation. Mm. Yeah. And something that you touched on briefly um, when you talked about your time going to London is that a lot of people turned on the opportunity because they were afraid or they didn't want to leave their families. And I think, especially for black women, the confidence in taking on more responsibilities mm-hmm. and that what that means in terms of failing on a larger scale, right, keeps a lot of people from taking on or raising their hands. And so can you think of an example of somewhere in the 22 years where you made a mistake 
Um, and you thought like, yeah, it, it's over for me. But then it ended up being something that didn't necessarily, wasn't as bad as you thought. I don't believe in failure, Roger. <laughs> oh, let, let's talk about it. <laughs> Mistakes are opportunities in disguise. <laughs> Does it feel that way in the moment? You know, there's been times um, where I've led a project and, um, you know, I had a particularly uh, tough one. My last stint in London and it was rough. It was a regulatory project and um, between the work, some of the more challenging personalities, some of the uh, diversity complexities there. Um, yeah, it got it got pretty difficult towards the end. Um, and for a while, I just dropped off of it, you know. Mm. Partially, I was, ex- you know, kind of excluded from certain meetings, and partially, I just thought I wasn't appreciated. And mm. um, my manager backed me because she saw some of the, you know, unfair practices that were going on and just, you know... The handling of it but um so you know I dropped off of it for a while and I did feel kind of bad because you know in hindsight you look back and think of all the things you could have done to manage it better like I say I own my failures you know mm-hmm. and I thought about okay maybe I could have done this I could have done that and it's a lot of shoulda woulda couldas um long story short though I was definitely brought back into it because like I said again performance matters mm-hmm. and a lot of times people think they can do something without you until you step away Mm. And then they get to live life without Shaylin. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, wait. Like, wait, wait a minute. Come <laughs> it back. wasn't that bad. It wasn't, you weren't that bad. Um, Come back. So performance and excellent matters. But, um, you know, don't beat yourself down too hard. There's a lot of people that are successful in the C-suite that have failed. I mean, failure makes you better. You know, mistakes make you better. If you never, you know, I tell people here when we have performance reviews, and they always want to go to the people that they know are going to give them high ratings. And I'm like, why? Like, mm. why go to the people you know? Because feedback is scary. It is. It is. Because it hurts your ego. Yes, because you take it as a personal attack as opposed to, like, ways to improve. You're like, oh, they said this was bad, so that means I am bad, mm. right? Like, that's how... And black women have it hard because we have the female factor, and being a woman is just tough. Women, we are a little bit more sensitive and emotional by nature, you mm-hmm. know? Um, you get a tougher skin over time, but it takes time, Um and then also being black, our cultural issues and experience in our community. So we got two swords against us. And it does it does take a lot to build your confidence. Mm-hmm. And I keep going back, performance, execution. Mm-hmm. I know my I know my topics. I know my expertise. So I'll sit in a meeting, like me or not, you know, don't like my style or not. Hey, no one knows this material better than me. Mm-hmm. And you can walk away and exclude me from the next five meetings. You're not hurting me, (laughs) you know, and over time. um, But you do also got to make sure your um, personality isn't a detriment because Mm -hmm. there is that um, fallacy between the lovable fool and the competent jerk. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, one. I haven't. You've never heard no. that. No, oh, I don't know. So many people have never heard this. Lovable fool, competent jerk. Yeah, so the lovable fool is kind of what I told you about earlier. The woman who I said they were like she has no teeth because mm. she was doing what you said, trying to adapt. Mm-hmm. Wanted everyone to like her, mm-hmm. really nice and sweet. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, you become this lovable fool. Oh, we love her in a meeting, but can she perform? Mm-hmm. Can she execute? Mm-hmm. Then on the other end, you have the super angry. You know, black woman, like I said, I used to be, where he was like, you're in the meetings, and I'm just, whoa. <laughs> I just drank with her last night. She laughed, and now she's not. And then you're a competent jerk, and you don't want to go too far down that route because people will find ways to work around you. Mm. You may be the expert, but if you're too you're too nasty, they'll, hey, there's another way to do this without her, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so have you found the middle? I, I'm getting there. I'm still closer to the competent jerk. <laughs> 
I always will be. But um, at least now I have a sense of humor. Um, I think once you've been around long enough, um, you kind of see the same things over and over again. You mm-hmm. might get a little bit of cynicism there, but you also get this kind of sense of humor where not everything is brain surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not curing cancer here. We're not in that field. Um, so not everything is mission critical, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of people get very emotional and, you know, get invested. And um, like you said, you know, they get feedback and they take it as an emotional, personal hit. Mm-hmm. It's business. It's all business. And once you keep reminding yourself it's business and not personal, it helps. It helps to have a, a life. It helps to have a life. Okay. I know. I know. I know. People are like, oh, my God, a life. I know. Because that's not what you're told, right? You're told put your head down, especially if you are, you don't, you don't come from this world. Your family doesn't come from this mm-hmm. world. And so all you're doing is, like, reading things on the internet. You don't know other black yeah. women who have successfully done this thing. So you're like, let me put my head down. Let me work the 14 hours. Because yeah. it looks like I'm a hard worker. Yeah, yeah. But, and then really, it looks, sometimes it looks like you're incompetent. Because why does it take you 14 hours when John's sitting next to you is done in eight? What is he doing that you're not? So then you have to wonder what that perception looks like, too, mm-hmm. because that's the thought. People are like, oh, if I work extra hours. But then if you're working extra hours, but the people around you are not, are you that good? Mm-hmm. Why do you need the extra time? What mm-hmm. are you doing differently than them? Um, it's probably a question a lot of people need to ask. Um, but, you know, you learn as you go along. Mm-hmm. I will just say that the longer you're around, the more comfortable you get, the more confident you get in your experience. You get over that imposter syndrome, you mm-hmm. know, where you're sitting there like, I don't belong. They're going to find mm-hmm. out any moment now. <laughs> I'm an imposter. And then also I say um, it helps. It has helped me to broaden my perspective around things like you just said about don't belong. Mm-hmm. Right? Black women, um, you know, women, black people, everyone is always, um, they're always in their own head. Everyone thinks it's just me. And so as I help lead some of the diversity and inclusion strategy, I talk to all groups. Mm. I talk to the disabled partners group. They think it's just them. Mm. I talk to the LGBT group. They think it's just them. Everyone thinks they're all alone when really you look across the board, there are more of us than there are the quintessential one percenter blue collar, you know, white collar, white male who's running it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's more of us that's probably on the diverse side. Um, that really need to kind of communicate and band together a little bit better. Mm. Yeah. And so then what would you say to that, you know, middle manager who's in finance and is trying to figure out, like, is this a place where I can thrive? Yeah, I've had to have those conversations with myself, too, because like I said, I always tell people i got a promising career in a field. <laughs> you have to ask yourself, um, is finance for me? Like, in the financial industry, it is tough. It is, I'm not going to lie, it is hard. Hard, 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 hard. It's the hardest part. Oh, the hardest part is the politics and the people. You know, <laughs> it is the people. The work, you'll learn the work, you know, mm-hmm. especially, you know, you get the right credentials, education, and training. You'll learn the work. It is the people. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a different motivating factor of mm-hmm. why they're doing something. Mm-hmm. They want a promotion. They want to move here. They want more money. They don't like this person. Mm-hmm. There's all these little undercurrents that you don't know about. And you step out there and, oh, I'm on a mine. <laughs> oh, here, here's another mine. And every time you turn around, someone's blowing up about something you thought was nothing, you know? Um, so it's the politics and the people are always the hardest. And all of my classmates from Booth, we all remark on it, regardless of field. Even the white males I went to school with, they say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the politics and the people that you really have to manage. Um, and finance, financial services is extremely hard. Um because it's money, you know, people are greedy, I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie, um, and everyone wants to win. There's a lot of competition mm-hmm. um, to getting to the top and winning. 
So you have to ask yourself, is this the industry for me? You know, mm-hmm. do I want to go to another industry? Is this the space for me? Um, once you decide this is a space for you, look across it and ask yourself, you know, where, what are my strengths and where will I excel the best? Mm-hmm. You know, people want to focus on their weaknesses. Your weaknesses will always be your weaknesses. No matter how hard you focus on them, they'll be someone else's strengths. Mm-hmm. So hone your strengths. Find a spot that's good for you. Something that gives you a nice work-life balance so you don't go crazy. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. if I didn't get out of here at 5 o'clock and have a weekend, I think I'd be a little cuckoo right now. <laughs> if I didn't just have 48 hours of turning it off, I think I'd be a little high-strung right now. Mm. But it gives you a nice perspective on life because you remember what's real. Mm. Yeah. Um, and what does that work-life balance look like for you? It's like when you are gone from here, are you gone from here? Oh, I'm gone. I check out. I'm not checking BlackBerry. I'm not checking emails. I'm not calling. When I go for when I break, I break. <laughs> <laughs> they can't catch me. Don't call me. I don't even think anyone has my cell phone number. But I have set that tone from day one. Mm-hmm. And because I set that tone from day one, they never expect anything different. Mm. If you set the tone from day one that oh, I can send her an email and she'll reply on Saturday. And I know she's checking. And I know she'll get back to Mm -hmm. me. And I know I could do this. They'll keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But with me, they know. She's gone. She's gone. Don't call her. her. Um, So just one thing really quickly. So you mentioned about, you know, the people and managing people. Everyone thinks that they want to manage people because they don't know what it means to manage people. Um, But I know that a lot of the questions in the Facebook group is around, like, advocating for yourself as it pertains to salary. So as someone who has people who reports to them. Oh, you do not. No. I manage indirectly, no. Uh, I don't have, I've uh, dodged that um, particular bullet um, intentionally. Okay. Because management, um, you know, one day I'm sure I'll be moved into a line manager position because um, that's what happens at a certain point in your career. You don't decide where you're going. They tell you where you're uh, going. <laughs> okay. I've never, it's never appealed to me personally. I've always liked being an individual contributor. Oh, that's an option. See, people, you don't have to manage people. No. people the, the assumption is always that, like, as you go up, like, it's an honor to manage people. And, like, if you're not managing people, blah, uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, managing people, you get a different seat at the table. Salary might be a little bit different, uh, a little bit higher. Um, to me personally, it just, it just didn't appeal to me, mm-hmm. uh, managing people, because, you know, managing, you know, instead of my doctor's appointment, I'm managing 20 now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people, you know, the, the people in the politics are hard enough. Um, we just didn't feel to me. Some people love management. They love being a manager. That's their passion. Mm-hmm. It's just not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never moved into that role and never really attempted it. Um, so for you, how have you learned to advocate for yourself then? Like mm-hmm. as you've moved around and things like that, like yeah. I think... A lot of times people don't have the words or the language to be able to go in and advocate for themselves. So how have you learned it? you got to be confident. There is nothing wrong with saying what you want and asking for it. The worst case they can do is say no. And that's what is the fear that holds people back. And and maybe because I go where angels dare not tread. um, But you have to get over that fear that you have to get over the fear of no. I mean, if you go into your boss and say, I want another 10,000. All he's going to do, worst case, is say no. We can't give that to you. But you never know what you might get. He might say no, but we can give you five. Mm. Or we can give you seven. But people don't take the risk. And women specifically, oh, and black women, you know, we got to get out of, you know, our comfort zone and take risk. Because mm. the guys are smoking us. They are taking risks. They are in the office. I want this. I want that. And I've learned to just change my whole mentality and personality. So... I go in and I say, right, in nine months, I want to be in this role. 
and I like this group, and I like working for you, but if I'm not given another opportunity to move into the space, I'm going to find it somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've had bosses that have told me, well, I don't see you moving into that role. Well, I see me moving into that role. <laughs> and then I stop talking to them because you're obviously not an advocate. Mm-hmm. You have to know when to stop talking to someone. Mm-hmm. I'm really great at not talking to people who tell me no. Mm-hmm. And finding your yes. <laughs> yeah, and I find my yes. And you have to you have to spread your net wide. You have to be willing to relocate, to move around, to get out your comfort zone. But I'm determined. My friend just told me, she said, you've never not gotten anything you wanted. I was like, because I don't allow people to tell me no. Mm. And when I want something, it's non-negotiable. It mm. may take nine months. It may take two years. But I'm going to get it. Mm. Yeah. Um, with the increasing popularity around entrepreneurship these days, especially as it pertains mm. to black women, what has kept you in corporate? Yeah, honestly, it's very interesting. Um, my family life, my upbringing. My mother used to love to own her own businesses. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up, she always had a business idea. Mm-hmm. She never went and got the education, though, right? Um, so she was an extremely smart woman, you know, Mensa level, graduated high school when she was like 14, extremely smart, but then went on to have five kids. <laughs> yeah. So she never went, um, never finished college, but she always had these great business ideas. And she would start this business and it would fail. And then she'd start this business and it would fail. So growing up, we were always low income because we never had a steady, stable stream of income. Mm. And so when you've grown up with the lights being turned off, food stamps, not being able to feed, not knowing when the next, seeing your mother's businesses go up and down, up and down, I have an innate fear in me from Mm. my upbringing. Mm. So it's nothing current. It's Mm -hmm. just I like the stability of knowing where my paycheck is coming from. Mm. I like being able to turn things off on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And saying, hey, Northern, I love you, but this is your business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I cannot check in for the next week and not worry about what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I love the comfort. I love the stability. But as I am um, getting kind of uh, long in the years here, I am thinking more of startup as my next move mm-hmm. or something a bit more entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And so while you are here, what is the part of your job that brings you the most pride or joy? Honestly, I would say it is mentoring other black women um, and other women of color. I do a lot of mentoring. Um, I develop a lot of different professional development programs. So I'm really involved in the diversity space. Um, You know, when I was in London, I really battled because you need someone. People have to not be afraid to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, when you see something that's not right... You know, when I was in London, I would see things that, you know, and I would pull the senior execs aside and say, hey, you know, I know they're not going to tell you this because they're scared, mm. but I'm going to tell you this. Okay. So you can never say you don't know. Mm-hmm. And this is what's going on behind the scenes. Someone needs to do something about this. And they would tackle it. And mm-hmm. people think they don't care. And I'm like, it's not that they don't care. They don't know. They don't know because people don't tell them, mm-hmm. you know. So I think in my role now, and when I left London, it was hilarious. My leaving due, I had... Probably all the multicultural women in the London office show up. Every woman in different cultures, religious races. And they all told me, they were like, Shailene, you made a difference. Mm. You know, you may not know it, but you made a difference. They're like, that guy who was being a bully, I don't know what was said, and I don't know how it was said to him, but he's roped in. Mm. This guy is nicer. This mm. guy is this. They're like, and they were just like, I don't know what you did. But thank you. <laughs> but thank you. But thank you. And even now in my role, you know, um, I like seeing, you know, when I'm in meetings and I see my mentees excelling and going into new positions 
and they say, Shaylin, it was because of you, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's like all the awards, all the money, everything else, it comes and goes. But when you see that other people are better off because you put your neck on the line and kind of went for bat, went to bat for them, that's the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so these next uh, series of questions are the lightning round questions. Do not overthink them. It's just the first no, thing that comes uh, to your mind. Are you sure about this? Yes. It's the first thing that comes yes. to my mind. It's always right. Okay. <laughs> What's the one piece of career advice you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career? To stop being naive. Um, what is the career lesson that took you the longest to learn but has had the biggest impact on your career? Getting a sense of humor. What is the one book that has either had the biggest impact on your career or that you could read over and over again? 48 Laws of Power. And then we all know that most career decisions are made when you're not in the room. What do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? That she's a good performer. She knows her expertise. Give her a chance. Mm. Last question. Thank you so much, Shayla. This has been wonderful watching. Love it. Be happy to do it again. Good luck. So, as you could hear, hopefully, I really, really, really enjoyed my time with Shaylin. And so I want to share a few takeaways that I got. So, you know, I always do my top three. So the first thing that I walked away with was to focus on your strengths. Your weaknesses will always be your weaknesses. And no matter how hard you work on them, they will always be someone else's strengths. So focus on your strengths. Um, I think the other thing that I learned, the second thing was that in order to move around and don't feel stuck, you have to make sure that you're preparing yourselves for the next move. So the analogy that she uses, like you can't move if you haven't packed up your stuff. And that um, that really hit home for me because you guys know I'm always moving and I'm always packing at the last minute. So if you want to be able to move forward, you have to make sure that you are preparing for that time before the time gets there. And then I think the last part of it that um, the third thing that I really enjoyed was talking about the ownership, um, taking ownership of your career and saying that like when you deliver excellence on a regular basis, that's how you find sponsors and that's how you find your mentors. And I think, you know, in the Facebook group, we're always talking about finding mentors and people to help with our careers and how do we do it and how do we how do people go about um, finding those people. And so I think she was right on saying that just be excellent at whatever it is that you choose to do and the people that you need to help you move around in your careers will find you and you just have to believe that um as always if you want to keep the conversation going join us in our facebook group or at i choose the ladder or on instagram at i choose the ladder and until next time thank you for listening